you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. We're reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 13. So, Second Corinthians 5.11 Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But, we, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the time, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise, We are treated as as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our Our heart is open wide. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. Hey, why don't we put our hands together for the Donahoes? Thanks so much, Pat. Thanks so much, Carly. We love you guys. Thanks so much for bearing your lives open before us the last four years. You're a great example of gospel life. Uh, on Hill, thanks so much for joining us today. Let me join in the chorus. Uh, mums, spiritual mums, biological or spiritual, we love you and we so appreciate you. Thanks for making the world go round. Uh, today, we now get to look at this uh, awesome passage, this uh, right at the, the heart of our faith kind of passage uh, and work out what it is saying to us today. Uh, to begin, I was reading recently the story of a man named uh, Oliver Franks. It's a very fitting story. He was the US ambassador to the UK in the important years following World War II. And given his role, Ambassador Franks was therefore kind of in touch with all the movers and the shakers uh, of the political world at the time. He was a confidant to US presidents and the British Prime Minister. Uh, he, he dealt with all the kind of top secret, high level information that someone in that position would. Uh, and because of the sensitivities at the time, it was too risky when he was needing to relay messages between uh, the States and the UK for him to pick up the phone uh, and just, just call uh, the other country. There was an assumption that the, the phone lines would be bugged. And so because everyone kind of just subtly, you know, without saying it, agreed with that, uh, there was a diplomatic bag that a lot of the embassies would put in their most uh, confidential, top secret information, put it in the bag, and it would get sent across the pond uh, to the other uh, uh, stateside. And so uh, that was one way that ambassadors dealt with those kind of confidential information at the time. And yet, and this is why the story becomes fitting, uh, it was said that, that Oliver Franks didn't trust the, the diplomatic bag. And so for the very most important messages, the, the, the most exclusive messages, world-shaping realities that he needed to communicate between the powers at the time, instead, he put those messages in an ordinary envelope, and he sent it through the post. And so high-octane world news, at a pivotal moment in world history, was travelling alongside love letters and Christmas cards and all the other ordinary messages being sent through the ordinary post because it was in that ordinariness that it was actually most safe. No one would expect a thing. And now that's a fitting image for us for where we find ourselves in, in 2 Corinthians because last week we heard that actually God has done exactly that with his most important message, his message of salvation to the world. He's done it with us. See, our gospel is so glorious. Our gospel is so important. Our gospel is world-shaping, life-transforming. And yet God has chosen to deliver that message to the world through the ordinary mail, the jars of clay, of you and of me. And so in our world right now, the most important messages, the most world life-shaping news actually is thrown around the world all the time out of your soggy mouth. And it's lived out faithfully out of your vulnerable, flailing, wrinkly, aging body. God has chosen us, mere jars of clay, to communicate his message. Last week we heard that that kind of weakness is, is not a liability for God. No, it's an asset because it makes him be shown to be powerful. 
Now, not to mix metaphors this week, uh, we see that not only are we the ordinary male, not only are we the jars of clay, but actually you and me have also been chosen to be the ambassadors. The ambassadors between heaven, representing heaven on earth, imploring people to put their trust in Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our mission as God's people, our commission to be God's ambassadors in our world today. And it is important that we talk about it, particularly at our church, because there is so much to be thankful for at our church. There are many strengths of our church. I I, I kind of bump into other church leaders, uh, even from from beyond our own city and state around Australia, and they've heard of us. They've heard of you. And they've they've heard, hey, that's a a healthy church. And there's a lot to be encouraged by about our, our community you know, I, I'm deeply encouraged about the sweetness of our community. We are a welcoming church. We are an, an organized church. We are a, a gracious church. But while there are many strengths, this text for today uh, is perhaps God putting his thumb on one of the areas of church life where we really need to grow. And that is our calling to reach people who are far from God, to, to reach people who have no knowledge of this good news about Jesus and see them come to a life-transforming relationship with him. And we know this is a weakness because we saw uh, recently we had the lamentable reality of coming to Easter and not having any, in the months before it, any new Christians to be able to baptise and celebrate at Easter. And that strikes us as, hey, there's something, something off there, something we need to work on, something we need to improve in getting our message across. It really should not be. And let me, as the lead pastor, just own that reality. Let me, let me confess right up front and repent of the ways that, that I haven't led us well in what is essential, what is at the heart, what is the mission that Christ has given us as his people. I confess that sometimes I feel uh, too busy or, or too overwhelmed or the size of our church can become a convenient excuse uh, to, to, to keep me from focusing in on what is most important. I get distracted by a very scheduled suburban life uh, and I walk in and out of conversations with people who uh, have been created by this God, loved by this God and yet do not know this God and I walk in and out of those conversations without ever giving an intentional second thought to thinking, what were the opportunities that I just had to talk to that person? about the most important relationship in their life with the God who made them. I Personally, I set goals for how often I should go to the gym every week. I set goals for how how many books I want to read every year. But I don't often stop to set goals for how intentional I'm going to be in pursuing particular relationships so that I might see those relationships flourish and see this person become a Christian trusting in Jesus. And so today... We actually have a great opportunity because today gives us the chance to get inside the mind and the heart of the greatest missionary who has ever lived, the Apostle Paul. And not even just him, but through him, God inspired words to us and about how we might be able to be missional like he was. And this all flows from the end of the passage that we looked at last week. We didn't get a chance to see uh, the verse there. But Paul is talking about his own weakness. He's talking about vulnerability. He presents this, this image that essentially drives him on his mission. He wrote in uh, chapter 5, verse 10, just before our Bible reading today. He said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what, he's, what his is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then our text starts, therefore, 
knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You know, C.S. Lewis once said that you and I have never met a mere mortal. We have, we have never met someone who's ordinary. No, actually, everybody that we rub shoulders with, everybody that we bump into, everybody in this room and outside of this room in our world, we're going to pass away. We're going to leave our body and we're going to meet Jesus face to face. And we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so for everyone that we know, and for all of us, there will be a day of judgment. And out of the fear of meeting our maker in that moment of his holiness, touching, getting close to our sinfulness, well, Paul, therefore, was convinced that he needed to persuade as many people as possible to turn and trust in Jesus. Because for those who have turned and trust in Jesus, the day of judgment will be a day of joy. But not for everybody. Because some won't trust in Jesus. This is why we are here. We want everybody to meet Jesus and have that day be a day of joy. So there are many good things to succeed in as a church. And when we're talking in this uh, kind of respect about success, it's not so much the outcome because the outcome is in the Lord's hands. No, for us, success is merely getting the invitation across, getting getting the message across. We want to succeed in raising the missional temperature of our church, that we might all know why we're here, why God has us here and why God has brought us together as a church and sent us out into the world. And so to do that, we're going to walk through uh, this passage that Carly read out for us. And we're going to pull out four marks for our mission today. Four marks for our mission that we might get back to the essentials of what our role is here as God's people on earth. Uh, The first mark is that the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. Stepping back from the text a bit, we should notice that we're reading a letter that is 2,000 years old. So there's a couple of layers that should be in our minds as we read this. And that is that one uh, is that there's an immediate and direct relationship between the author and those that Paul is writing to. He's trying to compel them to trust him again, to listen to him again, to receive him as a credible leader once again, like they used to. And so that's why when we read this book, it reads such, so, so personally. There's a lot of detail going on that we're, 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 the, we're the fly on the wall for. We're the third wheel. We don't, we don't quite understand it. And yet while we read it, there's another layer going on, and that is that 2,000 years removed, Paul is so open with his life, with his heart toward these people, that we can glean from what he says principles and realities that are also true for us as it was for them. Just as Paul unpacks the gospel for them, so too he unpacks it for you and for me. And so while he's worked his way through personal details of his travel plans and talking about the engineering of what it means to be in the new covenant, the new testament relationship with God, right now he's at this crescendo moment of vulnerability. He's at this crescendo moment of wearing his heart on his sleeve before the Corinthians and he gets to what is at the heart of why he lives why he ministers. And so this text sounds, uh, we should read it, a little bit like a a halftime G-up from your local footy coach. He's trying to spur them on to capture the vision for why we are here and therefore why they need to stop being distracted by all the superficialities in the world and get back to why they're here. So Paul wants us to know, just as he wanted them to know, God wants us to know where his heart is at for the world to stir them up, to stir us up, to not be distracted or caught up with what the celebrity preachers of the day were saying, 
but to get back to our mission, to what's most central. And we read that at the very beginning of our passage. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are, not, what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If you're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so Paul is essentially saying, hey, you can call us crazy, but at least see us as being crazy for God's sake. Paul wants us to know this incredible truth that, that yes, all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God one day. And yet Christ has taken on the death penalty for us in our place. That for those who are in Christ, the judgment has already happened today. He's already been there in our place for us and taken our judgment. And so this is why we Christians, we should be crazy about God's mission because God's love has actually, literally, physically been made manifest in our world. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so in a world like ours that, that loves love, this is true love. Christ crucified for sinners like you and like me. Now in contrast to this, the celebrity preachers of the day back then, I'm sure we're probably uh, focusing on the, the externalities, the, the superficialities, outward appearances we're told. Focusing on the numbers of people that were following their message, focused on their social clout that they could get by being as impressive as possible, making sure that the people that followed them looked the part and they towed the party line and they weren't an embarrassment to their public image like Paul would have been. Rather, they actually improved those speakers, those preachers' reputation amongst the movers and shakers of the world. And so in a sense, they probably engaged in, in what was an, an early version of identity politics as we'd know it today. They wanted the right people who looked the part to follow them so that their public image would be increased. And now our world uh, thinks quite similarly today. We often, don't we, we're, we're so uh, besotted with, with uh, the political world that we think in political categories. And because of that, we're so tempted to see Christianity as really just another political voting block who are all together trying to seek to carve off a little bit more power for themselves. We're told here that it's not power that controls our mission. Rather, it's love that controls our mission. Maybe a thought experiment might help. Imagine with me if uh, in the meet and greet we had just moments ago, uh, you would have come up to me and asked me, hey, Nick, how, how was your week? And I said, hey, actually, thanks so much for asking. My week was fantastic. My week was actually incredible. And it was incredible because, because I received an email from, from a new friend. This new friend that I have actually is it's, it's a Nigerian prince, it turns out. And I received an, an email from, from this new friend of mine, and he spelt my name wrong, but that's kind of a thing we've got. You know, he, he, um, it's just, he means well. Uh, but it turns out that he's just come into a bit of money. And he was actually emailing just to, just to tell me that, that hey, hey, Nick, you've actually been the one that I've chosen because I want to share my money. And so I've actually come into a lot of money and, and all I actually need to do is share with uh, my new friend, uh, Mr. Prince, I, I need to share with him just, just my, my online banking uh, username and password and then he's going to deposit the money into my account. 
Like, how good is that? It was a great week. Thanks so much for asking. It was, it was a really good week. I'm sure if I was to respond that way to you, you would say, hey, Nick, mate, I reckon you're being deceived here. If you love me, you would pull me aside and say, mate, I think you're thinking wrong about this. I think you're being deceived and being tricked here. And last week we heard that the Bible's vision of the unbelieving world is not that Christians look back or kind of cross their arms and stare back at the world and go, idiots, what are they doing? No, it's out of love. The Bible actually tells us that the world has been deceived, blinded by the God of this world, and that our posture, therefore, to the world is one of wanting to, to undeceive the world. Want to see the world's eyes be open to what is really going on. Our motivation isn't to win. Our motivation isn't to get more power, but to lovingly help the world be free, free from sin, free to be who they were made to be, free to be reconciled with the one who made them, the one who loves them. And so if we love people, we will seek to undeceive them. That's why the Christian message has been so magnificently countercultural in our world. We often don't notice it because we're growing up in a culture that's been so impacted by the Christian message before we even got here. But when love controls you, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. There's neither rich nor poor, young nor old. When love controls you, you want anyone and everyone to come in and be found in this love. That's why the Christian message goes out throughout all the world right now into every single culture that it can, compelling people to come and trust in this Jesus, whatever class they are, whatever race they are, whatever gender they are, love controls us. And that's not true just for the world. That is true for everybody in your world right now. Every one of your work colleagues, everyone in the mum's playgroup, everyone in your family, all your neighbours, all of them have the opportunity and are invited to come and be found in Jesus. And so the love of Christ controls us. There is no mere mortal in your life. All of the people you know can have their forever changed by the love of Christ. And that leads to number two, our responsibility. We are sent into the world as ambassadors. Uh, now, let's be, let's be honest. The kids uh, might like this one, but, but I, I have an opinion, and that opinion is that the least believable and the least likable superhero in our world is Spider-Man. Does anyone agree with me about Spider-Man? Like, if, you just, if you just think rationally about Spider-Man here, I'm not sure if the creators of Spider-Man did think rationally here, but Spider-Man's actually little. He's still going through puberty. And worst of all, he, he, he shoots spider webs. Now, if you've got my four-year-old Aria uh, up, you know what she can do to a spider web? With her itty-bitty four-year-old girl hands, she could break a spider web. Like, spider webs are not strong. And so I'm not sure how a spider web helps a superhero. But the greatest gift that Spider-Man gave to our world is what he gets quoted for so often. And that is the interaction that Peter Parker had with Uncle Ben when he found out his newfound powers. With great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility, he's told. 
And that is essentially a great summary of what Paul is telling us here in this text. He tells us in in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so when you and I trust in Jesus, we become a new creation. And with that new power, that freedom that we have from sin, that new heart that we have empowered by the Holy Spirit, that new position we have now being sons and daughters in God's family, there comes a great responsibility. See, Jesus didn't sell this kind of easy believism message as if we come to him and then put our feet up for the rest of our life. No, he said, take up your cross and follow me. That the way of Following Christ is the difficult way of walking the narrow road. And that is part of that is embracing this new responsibility we have that actually all of us now represent Christ in the world. All of us now are ambassadors for Christ in the world. I mentioned before I love a good international espionage TV thriller. And so I was drawn, uh, like a few of you I think were too, to the, the Diplomat, which was a new TV show on Netflix. Uh, a few episodes in. Don't take this as a recommendation again, uh, just to make that clear as a disclaimer. It hasn't quite grabbed me yet, and so don't yet waste your time until I tell you. Uh, <laughs> but it is insightful into the, the, the role of becoming an ambassador here. The, the, the woman on the screen, Kate Weiler, uh, she becomes the US ambassador to the UK, and you, uh, in the first episode or two, are, are kind of thrown into the deep end of what it's like. Uh, to see that happen where now this uh, new ambassador has to kind of manage international tensions between two superpowers and get used to this new culture where she's just moved into uh, while honouring amongst that new culture the interests of the place where she's come from. And so in a sense, she's a bridge between the US and the UK. Now think about that for us as ambassadors. We are representatives on earth, the culture of heaven, that we are seeking to reconcile all the humans that we know with the God that we know and be strategic in working across the the tensions that are at play there and the different priorities and postures that we might come come to contact with amongst our friends and our family and the people that we are ambassadors to. When we were first planting our church uh, and we were all meeting, mingling in the, in the foyer there at Phoenix Park when we planted some five and a half years ago, uh, I remember making sure in our core team gatherings before we'd kind of opened the doors publicly uh, that we needed to include a few things to make sure that we knew why we were planting our church, to get to the heart of, of what we were doing to try to reach the East. And one of them was uh, we took some time to kind of play this thought experiment game with us. And we could do it right now. We could pretend that together all of us uh, are a missionary team. And we've just chartered a plane and we've flown into a foreign country that doesn't know Jesus, a foreign country not impacted by Christianity, an unreached people group. And we walk out of that plane and we walk out with the challenge, the mission, we will need to make as many Christians as possible in this new country. What are the first few things that you and I might think about doing if we were to whiteboard it? Uh, What... Should we do if we want to make people trust in Jesus? 
And the answers, I remember, were, were quite revealing. The, the first few things that we'd do is probably answer the same today. We'd, we'd have to start learning the language, I'm sure, because we want to communicate with this new culture. Uh, we'd want to get out there and involved in public life. And so we'd get jobs and we'd enroll our kids in schools and we'd join book clubs and sports teams and go to public spaces and restaurants and libraries and all sorts of things. We'd, we'd build relationships with our neighbours. We'd put down roots, buy a house, rent a house. We'd get to know the neighbourhoods in which we live. We'd probably turn on the TV and we'd think about kind of the culture that is kind of communicating about itself to us, what it values, what's at the heart of this culture, what is its vision for the good life. And we'd think about Jesus and we'd think about what he says into that value system, into that culture. And then we step back from that thought experiment and we could do that right now and discover that we actually wouldn't do anything different than what you and I are probably actually already doing right now in our world. You know the language. You turn on the TV. You've got involved in public life. You're getting to know your neighbours. And so this responsibility that that Paul tells us that that we are ambassadors, he's not telling us, hey, you've now got a new job to add in to your already busy life. No, it's actually you just doing the same things that you already do, yet with missional intentionality. See, the people that you and I are called to be ambassadors to aren't these theoretical people. And we talk about reaching the East. When we say that, we're we're not talking about some kind of theoretical Eastern suburban person who might be out there. No, we're talking about the people that you know, the people that are in your life. You know, the people that our church is going to baptise in the years to come are people that you already know. Our mission isn't to some invisible theoretical group. It's to the people that are in your life and in my life. They're the people that God is calling us to be representatives of Christ toward to be ambassadors toward. And so our mission field, as City on a Hill in Melbourne's East, are all the people that are one degree of separation from Jesus. And you're the one degree. You're the Christian that they know. You're the one who knows the good news, who has trusted in this Jesus, and who has been called up to be an ambassador to tell them that good news, to share with them that good news. And so very simply, I'd love and encourage you to to think about who is it in your life right now that whether you've been intentional about it or not to this point, you are an ambassador to. You are a representative toward. And how can you enter into those relationships you're already in with more intentionality? Thirdly, Paul continues in chapter 6 telling us that our task is time-sensitive. He says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so Paul reminds us that we are living in this unique window in history where our responsibility to compel people is matched with this unique opportunity that people have to respond while there's still time, before that day of judgment is coming and we find ourselves standing before our maker. Now, if you've ever read a productivity book at all or listened to a productivity podcast, you're perhaps familiar with what's known as the Eisenhower Matrix. 
I think I've got an example on the screen. You know, it's a quadrant where matters of importance cross with matters of uh, like time uh, and its urgency. And so much of our life is taken up by things that uh, we think are urgent and they feel urgent, but they just aren't that very important. And there's all sorts of other things that aren't neither urgent nor important and they're time wasters and we need not be doing them. All of us, I'm sure, in our lines of work, would love to be doing the deep work of the important stuff that isn't urgent, but you never seem to really get to, but you'd love to prioritise more time to do it that you could work on quality. And then there are some things, the key things, things that are both important and very urgent, the things that all of our resources in the immediate space should be centred upon and that we need to do and do with great haste and great priority. Now, Paul is telling us here that that our mission as a people, as Christians, our mission as a church is both important and urgent. I confess, if I was to, to audit my attention, if I was to audit my time, if I was to audit my energy and how much of it is given to my own evangelism, and personally, intentionally participating in the mission, then it would show me up as not very often living out faithfully to what I know to be true. Because I I know it is important, and yet so often it doesn't feel urgent. And so to people like me, it's as if in these few verses Paul is lovingly shouting at me, Behold, now, is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The day of judgment is coming like a thief in the night, Jesus says. So be ready. People need to know. People need to know. And so I've been convicted about this more recently. So more recently have wanted to get back into more intentional evangelism. And for me, unfortunately, my colleagues are all Christians. I think. Uh, and so that renders my workspace not, not a particularly ripe evangelistic harvest. Uh, so in my life, it's often been getting involved in sport teams that are very easy in for me to create relationships. And so uh, footy teams in the past, when I planted the church, had a basketball team and that uh, tried that for a few years. There's golfing buddies a- a- along the way. Uh, but this season, I've signed up to so- uh, coach my son, Axel's eight-year-old soccer team. Uh, I've never played outdoor soccer myself, and so I'm I'm playing a bit of Ted Lasso uh, here as well. But I did it in part because I know I've got to tie myself down to responsibilities where I'm going to intentionally rub shoulders with people who are far from God, don't don't know anything about Christianity. This gives me the chance to do this with the parents, perhaps more so than the the eight-year-olds. But it's important for all of us to think about that. Perhaps you don't have to think so far away or sign yourself up for a, a new thing. Because you can walk into the office and know that your colleagues, they're a, a, a mission field to you. Maybe it's a, a, a mum's group, a, a play group. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's the, the high school friendships that you maintain, your classroom, a sports team, whatever. Across all of those spheres, all of us will have people that we know that we've gotten in with people that are warm to us, people that have a, we've got a relationship that has gotten to that point where it's vulnerable enough that we can share our hearts 
We can share our sufferings. We can tell them that we're praying for them. We can ask them how things are going and they'll answer genuinely. Our role as ambassadors is to enter into those spaces knowing that we're representing somewhere else, that we are ambassadors for heaven there at the commission of Jesus. And so let me just encourage you. As you think about those spheres, as you think about those relationships and you bring to mind faces and you bring to mind names, let me just encourage you, please go for it. Our task is time sensitive. Please make the next step. Say the next encouraging thing. Pose the next question. Invite them to the next thing. Share the next part of your life that you haven't yet opened up to them. Ask them What's the next thing you can be praying for for them? Send them the next piece of content that you found particularly challenging that might help them think about the meaning of life and why they're here. Our, mesh, our mission is time sensitive. Even as I was preparing this message, I was prompted by a conversation that I'd had uh, over a year ago with someone that I'd never really been back in a space to be able to follow up on that conversation. So I sent them a message to try to pick that back up. Because the urgency of this moment that we're in, now is the favourable time. Now is the day of salvation. If there are people you know who need to know Jesus, now is the time to take the next step. Now is the time. Times are too urgent to let it lie. Finally and fourthly, Paul tells us uh, his own, one of his own methods is that he puts no obstacles in the way. He says in verse 3, we put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. And then he goes on to tell us a little bit what that ministry is like, what experiences he's had because of his love for the Corinthians and his love for people. He's been lashed. He's faced hardships, sleepless nights. He's been honoured and dishonoured, slandered and praised. Because of that, he's simultaneously sorrowful and yet rejoicing. And so essentially Paul wants to endure everything he has to endure for the sake of getting the message across. And perhaps we're prone as we read Paul's kind of list here to to think, man, this is just some super spiritual superhero that I could never emulate. Because for you and me, we feel like there's a lot of obstacles. If you're anything like me, you think about telling people about Jesus, it's intimidating. It can be scary. What are these people going to think? Perhaps they're going to scoff at me, perhaps they'll raise their eyebrows at me, perhaps I'll no longer be invited to the cool things, perhaps I'll be out of the inner ring. I feel that. It might cost us the clout at the workplace. It might cost us position amongst our friends. Or perhaps the obstacles aren't so much thinking outside of ourselves, but they're, they're more self-imposed. We're busy. We don't have time to add into our busy suburban schedules more relationships to throw energy and attention toward. More people to put on our happy Christian face in front of. Maybe we'll think, what, what do I even know? What about when they throw that curly question to me in response? I'm not confident or competent enough to be able to handle that answer. There is a lot of self-defeating talk that we Christians Listen to about ourselves, to ourselves, when it comes to mission. You should know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
And so for those of us who know the Lord, we essentially have a home ground advantage. You know, that narrative, that defeating talk that we tell ourselves, it actually flies in the face of what Jesus told us. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. But it also flies in the face of what the research and what sociology would tell us. Do you know if uh, the, the, the common descriptors, adjectives that, that non-Christians in Australia describe the Christians that they know in their life as top three, caring, loving, and kind. Do you know 23% of non-Christian Aussies are very open to changing their religious views. 33% of non-church attending, non-Christian Australians would say yes to an invitation to come along to church if they are asked by a friend or family member. And so one of our roles as Christians is just to remove as many obstacles as possible so that we can reach your friends, your family. One of our roles as a church, as one of the pastors here, is to think about the obstacles that get in your way to evangelism to help you, that we're in this together. We are a missionary team sent into the world And so what we try to do to help you, if you're in those moments where, hey, I don't know what I'd say next, I don't know how I would communicate the good news, is just lean on us, just use us. You can invite them to an alpha. You can invite your friends or your family to a Sunday service where they're going to hear the good news of Jesus. And given those stats, really the predicament is quite obvious to us, that if you can think of three people, can you push through getting two no's to that invitation to get one yes? Because a third of people will say yes to the invitation. Can you invite three people and have the courage to endure the two no's so that you can get to the one yes? Jesus is alive, brothers and sisters. Jesus is alive and he is actively at work in our world today. The harvest is plentiful. And the reason the harvest is plentiful is because he has sent out two and a half billion ambassadors into the world. And you just happen to be one of them. The harvest is plentiful because you're here and because God has sent you here and sent us into the world so that we might be representatives of him. And so this is the goal of our church, the goal of our lives. We know the love of Christ. We've been given the responsibility of being ambassadors. We have an urgent mission. And we want to ensure that we put no obstacles in anyone's way. Perhaps the most obvious obstacle that I face and that all of us face isn't anything external to ourselves. The most obvious obstacle is what goes on in our hearts. Paul says this to finish off the text. He says, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as the children, widen your hearts Also, the greatest obstacle that you and I face is the narrowness, the coldness, the half-heartedness of our own hearts. You and I need a a vision for Christ's love for us, which is actually the heart of this text that we looked. I I skipped past it before, but the kids had repeated it about 10 times, so I could. That God has sent Christ to become sin so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. You are free. What can can mere man do to you? You are the righteousness of God. And so we need to enlarge our hearts. We need to widen our hearts. We need to behold Jesus. 
And so I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to finish by praying that God, by his Holy Spirit, would do that for us, that he would widen our hearts, that he would enlarge our hearts, that we might capture this vision of the mission of God in our world and the part that he wants to play in it, that we might capture the boldness that for any kind of practical thought that you've had, even in this moment, of like, yeah, I should go do that, that in the moment it won't be forgotten, but God by his Holy Spirit will empower you to go and do it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you had no sin and yet God has made you become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, we thank you that that makes us a new creation. We thank you that that gives us a new responsibility. And Lord, we ask that you might empower us by giving us the hearts that are so enlarged and widened with love for you and therefore love for your world, for all the people that we know who are made in your image and yet separated from you and heading toward a day of judgment that will not go well for them. Lord, we pray that you might grow our love. Lord, we pray that you might grow our courage so that we might be able to enter into the spaces that you've put us in our lives knowing that that you go before us, that you go with us, that you are behind us, knowing that we are safe and secure in you, knowing that we go bearing the greatest incredible news for all people, that they can become right with their maker. Lord, I pray that you might grant us the attention, the energy, the focus, the intentionality that you would free us from the distractions, you would free us from trying to succeed at things that are in second place or third, and you would help us come back to what you have put at the heart of the reason that we're here in the world and the reason that your world exists, that more people might know you, that more people might worship you. And so, Lord, help us get aligned with you on your mission in the world. But, Lord, we need you to give us the hearts for it. So please warm our hearts, enlarge our hearts and widen our hearts by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Give us the courage today, this week, to do what we feel stirred to do, to take the next step in calling people to you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.